0: Hi, friends. I hope you are well. I hope you are rested. Today, we're talking about a very common situation, and that is when students won't stop talking. My name is Victoria Bowler, and this is episode 61 of Elemental Conversations. This topic came from a colleague on Instagram, and they asked to talk about, quote, chatty Cathy's and what to do to help students regain focus. So today we're going to dive into one of the most common annoyances for so many of us. They won't stop talking. <laughs> they they won't stop talking. They can't seem to focus. Um, it's like I'm trying to teach a classroom full of squirrels. So if you've ever had any of those thoughts or any of those experiences, you are certainly not alone, and that's what we'll talk about today. So let's frame this with a few core questions, a few elemental questions. What are developmentally appropriate and situationally appropriate expectations for talking? How are our lessons structured to support students' motivation and focus? And then last, what are some effective strategic actions that we can take in the moment or preferably even before the moment when students are talking and the class feels a little bit out of control? Two core truths that I have found about students talking are really going to frame all of the things that we discussed today. The first truth is the more I talk, the more my students talk. Am I saying something worth listening to? Again, that first truth is the more I talk, the more my students talk. Am I saying something worth listening to? And then the second truth is you can't talk and sing at the same time. So what actions should students do instead of talking? The more I talk, the more my students talk, and you can't talk and sing at the same time. All right, let's think for a second about when students talk. Students are going to talk during transitions. They're going to talk when they're bored, they're going to talk when they're interested, and they're going to talk when they are processing something. Basically, students are going to talk all the time. That's certainly what it feels like because in a, a large way, that's kind of the truth about it, right? So let's talk about some developmentally appropriate and situationally appropriate expectations. If we consider student behavior to be a window, if we consider the behavior of students talking to be a window into a deeper need, we can add more context to the story. Before we jump into to this, you know, kind of section of this conversation, I want to say this is not uh, me saying that we should let students talk whenever they want because it's developmentally appropriate. This is not me saying that uh, we should not be the leaders in the classroom because students want to talk and we should be child focused. And instead of us taking ownership of our leadership, we should just let students talk because that's what they want to do. That's not what I'm saying at all, but how we frame this problem is going to impact the way we approach the problem. So let's talk about developmentally appropriate and situationally appropriate expectations. I had this conversation with one of my nephews and I asked if he ever gets in trouble for talking in his class and he does, he does sometimes. Um, And what he told me about it is that he wishes he could talk to everyone in his class all the time. He's a very friendly kid. He's a very social kid. And he always has been. And this brings up an important point. Students talk because they are human. Humans talk because they are social. There is an appropriate developmental need to talk. If we put a social human in a room with 25 of their friends, guess what they're going to do? The most natural thing in the world that they're going to do is talk to their friends Again, because they are human and it is good for humans to talk to each other. We are social. So again, with this idea of behavior as a window, what are students telling me with this behavior? They might be telling me that my pacing is off. They might be telling me that they're having a hard time processing something that happened outside of class. Um, They might be telling me that maybe their teacher right before they came to music, maybe their teacher had them taking like an hour long test and they weren't allowed to talk uh, during the test. And then they had to silently line up and then silently walk down in the hallway and they just need some time to talk. They haven't had a break. They also might be telling me that they can't focus in class because there's a situation at home that kept them up all night. Whatever it is, this is what people mean with that phrase. Behavior is a window. When students are talking, when they are off task or when they are having trouble focusing, that is a clue about something else deeper. Okay. So we've established that talking is developmentally appropriate and kids talk for a very good reason. That said, not everything that is developmentally appropriate is situationally appropriate, right? But again, how we frame the problem is going to impact how we address the problem and how we feel about the problem. I am speaking for myself, I am much less frustrated by talking when I see that it is a deeply human need that a child has for social connection, right? And then when I am less frustrated in class, guess what? I have more room for patience. I have more room for optimism. And that kind of frame of mind allows me to be more creative in my problem solving, I'm in a better position to solve the problem when I can approach it without anger. So I don't mean to say that it's not a problem when students talk at the wrong time. It certainly is. And it's one of those things that makes us feel so tired. It can make us feel so depleted and frustrated at the end of the day. Okay. This might be a good time to bring up kind of an uncomfortable truth about who is actually doing the talking during class time. Um, Episode 33 of this podcast was titled, How Do Music Teachers Spend Their Class Time? And there has been a lot of research around this area of students talking or what we perceive to be students talking. And in that research, again, you can go to episode 33 and listen to all of those studies. But we see over and over and over and over and over again that teachers are talking much more than students. And you say, well, Victoria, we're the teachers. We're supposed to be talking more than students. And that's fine. Yes, absolutely. Depending on the situation, absolutely. But here's the other important thing is that even when teachers think we are not talking as much as students, we are. We're talking more. That's the intriguing part is that we miss. Um, we misjudge the amount of time we are talking versus the amount of time students are talking. I have videoed myself teaching, and I was shocked at how much I talked compared to my students. Even as I was, these this was um, I was taking some videos for some seesaw um, advocacy, informants kind of stuff. And even as I was trying to brag to parents about how student-centered the class was, it seemed like every time I skipped the video, anywhere in the video I skipped to, I was still talking. So this might be a case of getting rid of the plank in our own eye before we address the talking that students are doing. And that's actually a good thing because if we are the ones doing the most talking, guess what? That puts us in control of the solution because what we'll talk about in a moment is that in, in the most, uh, in the most amount of time, the most times, the reason we talk so much is that we haven't quite ironed out our process of teaching. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. So let's talk about some concrete ways that we can help redirect students talking by focusing on the only behavior we can control. What is that? Who is that? Say it with me. One, two, three, ourselves. We can only control our own behavior. And as we have established, we are the ones doing the most talking. So if there's a problem with talking in class, oof, it's a good thing to start with us first and take ownership of our own leadership of the classroom. All right. When we recognize our role in this, we have more control over what to do. Does that make sense? If the problem is like quote unquote kids these days, well, there's not much we can do about that. But if our expectations of students talking are developmentally appropriate, and situationally appropriate, and we've thought through how we are going to frame our classroom activities and guide students through them intentionally, suddenly, friends, we see how much the ball is actually in our court here. So let's take these two core truths of students talking. The more I talk, the more my students talk, am I saying something worth listening to? And you can't talk and sing at the same time. What action should they do instead of talking? With these core truths in place, let's take some time to kind of apply them um, in all of these areas where students are going to talk. Going back, students talk during transitions. This one is huge. If there is one thing that we can do to help students stay focused, it is thinking through our transitions, at least in in my opinion, in my experience, et cetera. So when are students going to be moving from one location to another? We can absolutely expect them to talk and lose focus there. When do students need to set up instruments or um, get out other classroom materials? That is when they will talk. When uh, will students get ready to play a game? Again, same thing, talking. Any transition, any any of those cracks <laughs> in our lesson, that is prime time for students to lose focus, for our lesson to go off the rails, um, and for students to start talking amongst themselves. A lot of times uh, we don't think about our transitions as being these really big, important points of the lesson, right? Because if our lesson is, oh, I don't know, let's say we're going to do a warm up and then play a game and then uh, do an instrumental activity. Those are the big categories of the lesson. But really, the magic of maintaining focus is in all of the in between times the in between time between the warm up and the singing game, and then the time between the singing game and the instrumental activity. Those times are the magic. Those are the make or break student focus times, but because they don't have a separate section in our lesson templates often, sometimes they do, but very often we're just thinking about the core activities and not how we will move through the core activities. Does that make sense? So when we think through transitions, what we're actually thinking through is where students are going to get stuck and how we can help keep the pacing upbeat. We'll talk more about pacing in a moment. Um, I have a video all about music transitions that I will link to in the show notes, and that gives uh, many specific things to try. But if you just want some very quick, like drag and drop, effective things to do, my favorite transition just to have in my back pocket is to have students sing while they sing while they uh, move to line up, sing while you show that you're ready for an instrument, sing while you find a partner, sing, 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 sing. So whatever activity we were doing before the transition, we're just going to keep doing that same song, or it could be a rhyme for for sure, um, that same song while we do, while we move into the next activity. Now, uh, something to note here, when you do this, especially the first time, or if students are very excited about moving to line up or whatever it is, there are going to be some students who don't sing. And that's okay because all musicians have to practice skills to get better at them. Singing while you line up is a skill. And because it's a skill and because we're musicians, I know that we will need to practice. So no one is in trouble when I say sing as you line up and four kids sprint to line up without singing. We just go back and we do it again. Again, this circles back to expectations. I expect that all musicians need to practice in order to develop skills. Okay. So the first very quick transition or the very uh, simple (laughs) transition is just sing while you blink. Another very quick drag and drop transition is trying to uh, make your directions short and concise, and then in a meter so that students can echo them. This is one thing that we can do to make giving directions a little bit more interactive. So uh, when you get to the drums, when I get to the drums, your hands go on your head. My hands go on my head or line up with walking feet, line up with walking feet, step, step, step step, 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 something like that. Making our directions go in some sort of meter that students can echo is a really helpful uh, way to transition between activities. And then along those lines, because those uh, those transitions will work very well for some younger grades, like um, maybe kindergarten through fourth grade-ish, maybe third grade-ish, depending on um, the activity and your students, et cetera. For older students, you can ask them a very similar idea, but ask them to echo a body percussion rhythm as they move. So they're going to stand still while they listen and then move while they're playing. And then depending on how long you've been at your campus and how much creative experience your students have, I love to ask students to improvise a rhythm as they move. So I'll just keep a steady beat and I count them off, you know, improvise a rhythm as you walk. To your spots and go. They're improvising the whole way. Um, so I'll just keep a steady beat on a hand drum and I count them off and students just move and play to their new location. And once they get there, I will often say, keep going, keep going. And we stop right here. So again, that will depend on how much improvisation experience your students have, but it is a very seamless transition where students are not talking because they're busy improvising. They have something to do. Okay. So again, transitions are huge opportunities for students to talk and for the lesson to go off the rails. So thinking through how we are going to guide students from one musical part of the lesson to another is going to save us a lot of headache. So to recap with transitions, students are going to talk right? Having a few transitions in our back pocket, like asking students to sing a song while they move, asking students to echo directions or asking students to do body percussion. Any of these quick drag and drop transitions are going to be very helpful. That's a very actionable thing that we can all try. Next, students talk when they are bored. If our pacing is off in our lesson or if our processing of directions, uh, if our processing of an activity is off, students will let us know by talking. And if our lesson materials are not engaging or relevant, again, students are going to let us know by talking. This is because let's circle back. Behavior is a window. When students talk, they are giving us information. So let's talk about pacing and processing, and then we'll have uh, some time to talk about student interest and motivation. If students have to wait on us to get our process figured out for, you know, how we're going to teach an instrumental piece or how we're going to teach a game or how we're going to um, do any part of the lesson, if students have to wait on us to get our process figured out, they are absolutely going to talk. Okay. Okay. Pacing. When our lessons drag on too long with any particular activity, doesn't matter what it is, if the pacing is too slow, students will let us know again by talking. Most of the time, I say if the pacing is too slow because most of the time in my lessons that I have given and in the lessons that I have gotten to see other colleagues give, when students talk, it's because the pacing is too slow. Very rarely is the pacing too fast. I am kind of a stickler about this when it comes to pacing because I have seen it. I have seen it make or break my lessons. So on the side of my lesson plan, I have the actual time that an activity needs to start and then the actual time that it needs to end. So I can just look at the clock and see where we should be on the lesson outline. Now, I, um, I kind of hesitate to share that because, um, the reason I'm doing that is not because those times are etched in stone and I need to follow that lesson plan, you know, to the letter instead of following students needs. It's actually the opposite. When I can make an informed decision about how long students are likely going to be engaged in a task, again, thinking about lesson planning with this child development lens an appropriate expectation lens, when I can use that lens to craft the flow of the lesson, I am much more likely to keep the lesson moving. Because if I'm just relying on my own um, sense of pacing, that, that does not lead to good places for me because I have to remember that what appropriate pacing for me is that is going to be much slower than what is appropriate for students. And then the other thing is when I am doing an activity, I see the end goal. So I know that it's going to be even cooler the the longer we hang out on this activity and the more layers we add to it, et cetera, et cetera. So even if I feel like an activity has a lot more meat in it, a lot more we can do to the students, it feels to them like the activity has gone on for an eternity. And what are they going to do when they're bored and they need to get up and move? What are they going to do when my pacing is off? That's right. They're going to talk. So I put the times, the start and end times of an activity down because then I don't have to wait for students to start talking and get off focus for them to show me that I'm taking too long. If I am less planning appropriately with appropriate um, child development expectations, that saves me a lot of headache in the moment. So when we think through our pacing, we can cut our losses on a particular activity and we can move on to the next thing if something isn't working, right? We don't have to wait. We don't have to let the the lesson activity kind of get bogged down um, and and really uh, lose momentum. We can move on to the next thing and always leave students wanting more. The last thing I'll share when it comes to pacing is episode 37 of this podcast is called Organizing the Music Lesson. And that goes into more of um, the, the different segments of a typical lesson uh, that we can really use to help maximize student interest so that they are not talking. There's not as much time for them to turn and talk because the pacing is appropriate. So again, that is episode 37, organizing the music lesson. Okay. All of that is about pacing. Now let's talk about processing. Processing um, is something like how we are going to give directions to a game or how we are going to uh, facilitate a movement activity or how we are going to teach a specific mallet part. All of that is about processing an activity. So let's imagine that I am giving directions for an activity. Here is something that I can say that I can guarantee you (laughs) will result in students talking. Okay, here we go. Let's imagine that um, students are talking and I say, okay, everyone settle down. Uh, this is a really fun song. I think you're really going to like it. So, um, okay, let's see, how should we do this? Okay. You're still talking. Okay. I'm going to need no, wait, hang on, hang on. No, I won't start until you're quiet. Hey, That's option one. Let's look at option two. Let's imagine I do this instead. Let's start off with that same situation. Students are talking and I want us to do a specific activity. So as students are talking without saying anything at all, I'm going to go. (coughs) Students echo. Ba, 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 ba. Now. (coughs) Students echo. Ba, 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 ba. And I can do that a couple different times, maybe like four different body percussion patterns. And while this happens, students are naturally going to echo. And there are naturally going to be some students who are still finishing up that conversation that they were having before. So while this is happening, I am smiling and I'm making eye contact with those students who are still finishing up their conversations. And I might also change my location in the room to be a little bit closer to those students. So without saying anything, I'm going to do some body percussion patterns and students echo, and then I'm just going to click to the next slide on my lesson board where I have a short, uh, set of actionable directions, like short directions that students can understand very easily. And then a CTA, a CTA is a call to action at the end. So that CTA, that call to action might be, look at Mrs. Bowler with one eye open and one eye closed when you've read the directions, or look at Mrs. Bowler with a blank face, a surprised face, um, a happy face, a silly face when you've read the directions or sit down when you've read the directions the difference between the two examples, option one and option two, is that in option one, I had not thought through how I was going to process the game. And between the cracks, as I'm trying to figure it out, students are talking. And the more they talk, the more I feel flustered and frustrated, right? So the the whole activity comes to a grinding halt before it's ever gotten off the ground. In the second example, I have thought through how I want to explain those steps of the activity, and I didn't say anything at all. Again, let's go back to those two core truths about students talking, which is the more I talk, The more they talk and you can't talk and sing at the same time. So what do you want them to do instead of talking in this case? It's not singing that we were asking them to do. It was echoing body percussion. So those are um, two different ways that we could approach processing a game. I know that this takes extra time to think through all of this processing stuff. I know that it takes time to think that through before the actual lesson. I do want to acknowledge that. Uh, But one of the key things that we can do to help the lesson keep moving is to think through how we're going to process those activities. So again, we're not leaving cracks that students will fill with talking. Okay, so we've talked about pacing, we've talked about processing, and this is all under the umbrella of students talking when they are bored. The other thing that we can think about when it comes to students being bored is how interested they are in the actual material that we are teaching, because we all like to learn about things that are interesting right? When our lessons feel relevant to the students, they are more likely to be engaged and and on board with learning. And the opposite is true as well. If students are not interested in the material that we're bringing to class, they are going to let us know. How will they let us know? By talking. So this is one of the principles of universal design for learning, and it's under the category of multiple means of engagement. I have a blog post all about uh, universal design for learning and specifically multiple means of engagement, and I will link that in the show notes. So to recap, students talk when they are bored. We can make changes proactively by thinking through our lesson pacing and our lesson processing and by creating lessons that students are naturally engaged in, naturally interested in. Now, paradoxically, the next reason that students talk in addition to they talk during transitions, they talk when they're bored, but um, ironically, they also talk when they are interested and they are processing something. So um, I know it feels when we think about all the reasons that students talk, it's like, oh gosh, they talk at everything. We can't win. And yes, I, I understand that feeling. But what I want to offer here in terms of students talking when they are interested in something, that is a very different type of talking, right, than than students talking because they are bored. To me, when I am in a lesson where students are talking out of interest instead of out of boredom, that feels like a very different energy. It's more focused. It's less scattered. And actually, it's the kind of talking that we want to hear in the lesson. So to me, when I consider this reason that students talk and when I expect students to talk for this reason, the question I am going to think of is when do I want students to talk? When is it appropriate or preferable or maybe even necessary for students to talk? Here are some examples. Um, let's think about some situations where I can take students natural inclination to talk and I can just guide it to a specific academic area because students, because they are always wanting to talk because that wheel is always in motion. All I have to do is kind of like turn them in the right direction (laughs) and have them talk to each other about a topic that I want them to discuss. So Let's imagine that I want to teach students a song, and um, this is the first time that students have heard it. So I will sing the song while we all pat a steady beat, and then I'm going to ask students to turn to a shoulder partner and tell them something they notice about the song and give me a thumbs up when they're done. So I'll wait for a few seconds. And by the way, as uh, students are giving me a thumbs up, I'm going to make a thumbs up back at them and make eye contact and smile. Some of these nonverbal communication things um, are things that we are doing naturally already, and they are really, really, really helpful for getting the class back on board after they've had some time to talk. So making some eye contact, giving a thumbs up and a smile when when students give their thumbs up to you. So we'll wait a few seconds and then we're going to sing the song again. And I will ask students to tell someone else something different that they notice. Same thing. Um, I'm going to wait a few seconds. I'm going to give students a thumbs up when they give me a thumbs up. And then I'm going to ask students to listen for something specific. Notice the first two times I have just asked them to notice anything, two different things, right? But they can choose what they notice. Now I'm going to ask them um, to listen to how many times I sing X word or what the highest word is, or uh, maybe what the form of the song is or something like that. And then I'll sing the song again and we keep going like that for a few rounds of the song. The key here is I am asking students to talk. If a student sits there quietly, they're not following directions. They must talk to do this activity. But I am choosing what I want them to talk about, and I'm giving them many different opportunities to talk to many different people in the class. Something else that helps this process is that there is again, that CTA, that call to action. So it's not like talk to your neighbor for as long as you want, right? It's talk to your neighbor about this one thing and then give me a thumbs up. And as more and more students give a thumbs up in the circle, then those few stragglers who are still having their conversation, they realize that they're one of the last few people talking and that gives them kind of a sense of urgency to finish up their conversations. Okay, so that is an example of uh, teaching a song and asking students to talk as you teach the song. I might also ask students, this is going back to transitions, but I might also ask students to talk about something specific while they transition to something else. So I can put a question on the board and ask students to talk about that topic as they line up or as they wait for me to give them an instrument or something along those lines. And this is a really nice opportunity for review. So something that I might put on the board is, um, tell uh, a musician, three things we did today in class as you walk to line up, or I might say, tell your neighbor how Mrs. Bowler will know that you're ready for an instrument, something like that. So again, students are talking here, but they are talking about something specific. Now, um, the last example of a time where I actually want students to talk is in group work. And we won't go into this topic in depth because um, there's a lot that we could unpack here. But this is an example of where it's absolute of a time where it's absolutely necessary for students to talk to each other in order to get something done. So if students are working on a rhythmic building block arrangement, then they are absolutely going to need to talk to each other in order to create that idea. Or if they are coming up with movements to go with a specific uh, rhythm, then they are going to need to talk. If they are coming up with a new, uh, a new arrangement of an existing rhythm of the song that we're working on, again, all of these group project ideas, those are times where students need to talk. And since they want to talk, <laughs> then I can um, create an intentional area of the lesson where they need to talk. So it's not me fighting against this human need, the social need for them to talk. It's me very intentionally creating a context where what they want to do is the correct thing to do. They want to talk and they need to talk in order to do the activity. Okay. So to recap, students talk when they are interested in something and when they are processing something, so we can build in time for students to think out loud. Okay, so far we have talked about how students are going to talk and what we can do about it at some specific points in a lesson. That is, during transitions, we've also talked about when they are bored, so thinking through our pacing and our processing and our our interesting material, how interesting our materials are. And then we've also talked about ways to kind of embed opportunities to talk about things that are interesting as students are processing information very quickly. This is a list of uh, very quick wins that you can have in your back pocket. Like if things are not going well and you need to change something up in the moment, everything that we've talked about previously has been kind of, uh, what to do ahead of time. Um, but if you find yourself with things kind of spiraling out of control and you just need one thing to try these are some quick wins to think about, uh, number one, write down the directions. We've talked about that, but you don't have to have your beautiful slide presentation with, um, your, you know, lovely graphics and everything like that. Just turn around and write directions on the board. So that's the first one, Write, write it down instead of speaking. Number two, talk quieter. Number three, use a silly voice. Uh, number four, use interactive speaking. So that is what we talked about with echoing number five don't speak at all. Just model, silently model what you want students to do. And that makes them kind of guess and it's fun for them. So then they're kind of working to find you instead of you working to get ahead of them with them talking. Next, um, practice your attention signal before class gets chaotic. So whatever your attention signal is, if it's, um, you know, the give me five, if it's a focus fox, if it's clap, 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 clap. Practice that before you need it. And then the last thing is uh, using a consistent opening routine. That's something that really sets the tone and makes the rest of the class go much more smoothly. Having that opening routine, that's the same structure every single lesson. That's very, very helpful. If you are interested in hearing a little bit more about this topic, there are two books that I will link to in the show notes um, that have been very helpful to me when I think about this topic of students talking. The first one is how to talk so kids will listen. That is like a whole series. They have um, how to talk so little kids will listen. They have several different like um, age categories of this series and I have found them to be so helpful. So how to talk so kids will listen. And then the second one is one that I've talked about before, um, teaching with love and logic. All right. I read a Facebook comment recently about classroom management, and um, the person who wrote the comment said something to the effect of, um, I don't like the person I turn into when my students won't stop talking. And if I had to guess, I would say that most of us can identify with that statement. I certainly can. We want to view ourselves as competent teachers and energetic and effective teachers, but When we are not prepared for how much students talk, we turn into frustrated teachers and depleted teachers and impatient teachers. So all of the strategies that we talked about today, or at least the majority of the strategies that we talked about today, um, thinking through transitions and processing, um, making sure that our pacing is appropriate, all of those things those strategies take work ahead of the actual lesson time. And I do want to acknowledge that this takes some intention before students show up in the classroom, right? And sometimes we might not feel like taking the time to think through the process parts of the lesson. Sometimes we might not feel um, like we want to take the time before the lesson to think through how it's actually going to go. We want to just kind of jot down the songs we're going to use and wing it and it is what it is right but there's a trade-off there because with the knowledge that students talking is both developmentally appropriate and inevitable how do we want to spend our energy if we find ourselves frustrated at the amount of talking that students are, are doing in class if we find ourselves um, feeling impatient or depleted that's a sign that we have room to kind of rethink some of our teaching strategies, right? We can be proactive here or we can be reactive. It's just a question of how we want to spend our energy. Okay. We have talked about a lot today. Hopefully we can see how much control we have over our own behavior, from a teacher perspective and how taking ownership for our leadership in the classroom is actually the most effective step we can take toward less talking and more focus from students taking ownership for our leadership on the front end is going to save us so much energy. It does not excuse students from talking. It does not let students just get away with any type of behavior they want. It helps us redirect them more thoughtfully when we can take ownership. Again, taking ownership for our own leadership. right, friends, that is where we are going to wrap it for today. I wish you all the best. I wish you all of the focus and silent attention (laughs) that your students uh, are capable of giving you. Uh, Take care this week and happy teaching.